Hey, I'm Austin, and welcome to the Valley Point Podcast. Have you ever had a question that you want a real answer to, but it never seems to happen? Have you ever had a question that seems controversial? Have you ever had a question that you've been too afraid to ask? Join Valley Point Church as we tackle some frequently asked questions. We're going to attempt to answer some of the questions that you and others may have about God, the Bible, church, or just life in general. You ask it, we'll give it a shot. Back in the day, I used to listen to a radio show, when you actually would listen to radio shows, called Click and Clack. Click and Clack is an auto show on the radio, which is kind of interesting because I don't really know much about cars, and I don't know how to fix cars, I don't know how to repair them, but I loved listening to Click and Clack, as they called themselves, because they were just amazing hosts. They knew everything about cars. Any question that anybody could think of in the world, they could call in and click and clack would have an answer and they would be able to provide a solution to whatever car problems people had. And people would call in. I've got a 1974 Ford Pinto. Anybody remember Ford Pintos? Those things were scary. And here's what's happening with the Ford Pinto and it's making this noise and it has this issue and click and clack would provide an answer and they would give solutions and they were so fun to listen to because it seemed like they just knew everything. They had answers. They could provide solutions and they made life better. Have you ever met anybody like that? They're kind of annoying people, aren't they? They have answers, they provide solutions and they make life better and they're kind of annoying and in a very unique way. This is how the religious establishment during the day and during the life of Jesus felt about him. They were slightly irritated and annoyed with Jesus because he had answers and he could provide solutions and he made life better and they got really, really annoyed with that. But yet those who were seeking and those who were asking the questions of Jesus were absolutely fascinated with him because... He had answers, and he could provide solutions, and he made life better. And so people came, and they just bombarded Jesus with all kinds of interesting questions. Questions like this. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Somebody asked Jesus that. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? They asked, which is the most important commandment? Like, and they knew commandments in Jesus' day, and they had many lists and many things that they were supposed to obey and many things they were responsible for. And so they had all of these different commandments. And so somebody came to Jesus and said, all right, out of all of these commandments, which are valuable and important and things that we're supposed to be doing, what is the most important? Like, just pick one. Somebody came to Jesus and said, are you really the Messiah that we've been waiting for, or should we keep looking for someone else? Like, are you the guy or what? Because if you are, well, this is wonderful. If you're not, then we need to go out and we need to keep looking for this promised Messiah. They asked, is it right to pay taxes? And they also asked, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? 
Do I have to do that just one time, or do I need to keep going and going and going? What's the answer, Jesus? And so people came to him, and they just constantly bombarded him with questions. And questions are good. They're very, very good because they help us to think. We're in this series called FAQs. And what we've been attempting to do and what we'll attempt again today is just to answer some of the questions that many of you submitted in the past couple of weeks. And my goal in this is to take the questions and run them through the grid of Scripture. What does the Bible say about that particular issue so that hopefully we can find an answer, give a solution, and maybe make life better for everybody. And so today, I'm going to attempt to answer five more questions. And we're going to begin with this one. Question number one, how does one become a member of Valley Point Church? And what's the responsibility of a member? So great question. And my response to that is we make membership here pretty simple. And if you're attending here, and you have unpacked your bags, and you're beginning to dig spiritual roots in this place, like this is your home, then what we would do is we would ask you to come to a membership class. And we actually have one coming on Monday, October the 7th. You can sign up for that class on your connection card today, and we'll have a spot for you. And what we do during those membership classes is I simply sit down and talk to you about our vision and our dream of pointing people to real relationships that inspire real significance. And we talk about why we do church this way and we just answer questions and we kind of lay it all out there so that you have an idea of what Valley Point is all about and if you want to make this your spiritual home, and your spiritual family. And so that's coming up on October the 7th, and that's just a great, great day. You can even come to that. You don't have to do anything or sign anything. You can simply come and just gather information and then take it from there. But that's really the first step. It would be to come to a membership class where we can talk in depth about Valley Point Church and why we do things a certain way. So when people are ready to take that step then, we ask members to sign an agreement that says, I've trusted in Jesus alone to save me, and I've embraced his leadership and his forgiveness in my life, and I've taken that step, and I've been baptized as a believer, and I will protect the unity of the church, and I will also take on some responsibility in the church, and these are the things that the members of Valley Point get involved in and how they use their life as they unpack their bags and make a spiritual home. So normally when you think about being a member in something, you think about what you get, don't you? Like if you're a member of something, you you get something, you you have it, you wear the members only jacket or, or you get a watch or a pin or a pen or something like that. So we really don't give out stuff like that for our members. It's a little deeper than that. And so I want to talk to you for a little bit about what you get when you become a member, and you really unpack your bags here, one of the things that you get is a connection. And it's a very valuable connection. It's a connection to people. 
People who become your spiritual family. People who encourage you and people who walk through the issues of life with you and sustain you and hold you up on some of those difficult and challenging days. And then on those days where you're feeling really, really good, they're there to cheer you on and support you in that way as well. So you get this great connection to a faith community that you might not have had otherwise. So you get a connection to people, but you also get a connection to a purpose. And again, our purpose here is pointing people to real relationships, a real relationship with God and a real relationship with the people around us that then inspires us to do significant things with our lives. You know, we've got one life, just one life, and God wants to use that to make an impact and a difference in the lives of others. And so we want to give people an opportunity to do that through something called the church. And so when we engage in a deeper way in terms of membership, we get this connection, a connection to people and a connection to purpose. Even today, we're doing a very purposeful thing as a faith community with our Love Day, and we're collecting items for City Team in Chester, and we're collecting items for Ebenezer Ministry in Uganda, and all of those things are going to be given away. We don't keep any of that. And so we want to provide people, members and non-members, with an opportunity to connect to a purpose. But there is something unique about when you become a part of something on a deeper level that you can engage in their purpose, and we want to provide multiple ways for you to do that. So members get a connection a connection to people, and a connection to a purpose. We also get an opportunity to serve. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul, the writer there, is talking about a very specific church that is described not by what you get, but by what you give in ministry. And he just outlined several different things there about what that church was doing, how dynamic they were, and how they were making a significant difference right in their own city and in their own community because they had this thought and this concept that our connection to this church is not about what we get or receive, but it is ultimately about what we give in ministry. And so what do we get when we become a member Well, we get a job, really. We get a responsibility to be engaged in ministry. And one of the things that I love about Valley Point Church is that there are so many people, so many servants here who set up and tear down and make coffee and greet and set up tables and collect things and serve our kids right now. And they're having a great time. And they're learning about a virtue that's going to make a difference in their lives. And those are all servants who are taking care of that. So membership really is about a responsibility. It's about an opportunity. It's about a job. It's a way to serve. There's something else we get, and that is accountability. So our members have this unique system in place where we get to get next to each other and challenge each other to deepen our friendship with God. We have friends who will pray with us when we're struggling and when we begin to stray off course, we have this network of people who will get next to us and say, hey, I want to encourage you and I want to help you. I see this happening in your life and I want you to move in this direction. That's the accountability structure of a faith community. And when we're not in that, we're just on our own. 
and we can find ourselves in a lot of trouble. So members do get something. They get a connection to people and to a purpose. They get responsibility, and they also get accountability. And these are all very good things for us. Now, there's also things you don't get as a member. And so let's talk about that for a little bit. Uh, You don't get a better parking spot, all right? So, you know, if you don't come early enough, you're parking out by the buses, and I'm sorry, that's just the way it is. So no better parking for members. And you don't get better coffee. You don't, like, you know, there's better coffee behind the black tarp, and there's a party back there for the members, and what's happening back there? Yeah, that's not going on. We all drink the same coffee. You also don't get a free pass on filling out the connection card. So you still have to engage in that. So that's what you don't get when you become a member. You know, our expectation here is that members, when they engage at that level, will do more than just appear. Okay? Appearing is a very easy thing to do when you think about it. So our expectation is that members will do more than just appear. They will surprise and delight and impact our community with us. So think about this for a second. You're here because someone invited you, or you had a good first impression, or you were treated well. And you liked that, and you felt good about that, and so you chose to come back. What I want to challenge you with today is you need to pass that on to others now. If that's something that you experienced... And if that's something that you've been involved in, it's our job, whether we have the title of member or not, to go out and do the same thing for other people, to engage in this. You be the church. So membership is not about me. It's about how I have this opportunity to be a part of something that is bigger than me. And that's membership. That's what it is. And again, we're having this conversation on Monday night, October the 7th, at our Bethel Row campus, where we just casually get together and talk about Valley Point and some of the different things that we do and why, and we ask questions, and I would encourage you to think about coming on that night. It's a fun time, all right? That's membership. Question number two, why did Jesus speak in parables? Why did he speak in parables? Well, it's simple, really. They didn't have video back in the day. I got laugh a little bit. That's the best joke I have all day long, all right? That's, it, it goes downhill from here. So. Actually, let's define what a parable is. A parable is an earthly story that has a heavenly or a spiritual meaning to it. And so Jesus would often tell earthly stories, and he was really good at it, And these stories were not just for the sake of telling an interesting story. They were there to illustrate a heavenly or a spiritual truth. Now, in this culture, they were very used to that. Judaism was accustomed to parables being told, and they understood, they got, that these stories were an earthly story that would have this heavenly or this spiritual meaning. That's not something that we're as accustomed to, but they were very, very used to that in their day. And so Jesus would engage in telling these different parables. And why would he do that? Well, actually, in Matthew chapter 13, we find some of the disciples of Jesus coming to him, his closest followers, and they ask that very question. 
So here's verse 10. It says, His disciples came and asked him, Why do you use parables when you talk to the people? And Jesus replied, Well, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. That is why I use these parables. Now, I read that and thought it was terribly confusing. Like, that makes no sense to me at all, because it sounds like some people are going to gain more knowledge and other people aren't. And so, why did Jesus give this answer, and why did Jesus speak in parables? I think there's probably two thoughts to this. First of all, Jesus used parables to create interest. He told stories. And when you walk through the Gospels, the four books in the New Testament that share the life and the story of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you discover that Jesus had this amazing ability to really engage people with interesting stories. He was not a boring person at all. And people were amazed at his words and what he said. And I think a lot of that amazement was attached to his ability to tell a fascinating story. And so Jesus used parables to create interest. The second reason Jesus used parables was to invite participants. See, the different stories that Jesus told kind of begged for a response. I kind of begged for you to throw yourself into that story and perhaps ponder some of the deep truths that Jesus was unpacking with that earthly story. And in doing that, Jesus knew that some people would get it and they would like it and more understanding would be given to them. Jesus also knew that some people wouldn't get it and they wouldn't understand and they would walk away and say, this is not for me. It's kind of fascinating to think about. Even with Jesus himself right there, saying and giving the story. Some people are like, no, I don't get it. This isn't for me, and I've got other things to do, and I'm going to move on from this. Even with Jesus right there, people didn't get it, and they walked away. But here's the reality of this. Jesus used parables that were interesting, that engaged people, because he wanted them to know... If your desire is to discover God, and if you really want to find him, and if you really want to know him, God can be found. And more understanding and more knowledge will be given to you. God will not hide himself from you. And maybe you've never heard that before. Or maybe you've never thought about a God who doesn't hide because often he's painted that way and he's described as a God who doesn't care about us and he hides up somewhere and is not that concerned about what happens in our daily lives. And Jesus told these engaging stories to get people involved in it so that they would know God is near and God can be found and he does not hide. But here's the other thing. God can be found, but he doesn't force himself on us. Like, believe Today you will believe. Believe, 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 and this is going to happen for you today. See, God doesn't do that. He doesn't force himself on us. We must make that choice. So while God can be discovered and he can be found, he doesn't force himself on us. He allows us to make that choice. 
We're going to talk about that choice with another question in a moment. I believe it's the greatest choice that any person can make in life, and that is what are you going to do with this Jesus character? What are you going to do with him? It's okay. Why did Jesus share these earthly stories that had a heavenly or a spiritual meaning? Well, he did it to create interest in what he was saying and also to invite participants to continue to find God and invite him into their lives. All right, question number three. Why isn't hot cocoa served more often? All right, somebody asked it. And that's legitimate. So I have a piece of scripture for this, actually. Matthew 21, 22. You can pray for anything, and if you have faith, you will receive it. So guess what? Hot cocoa is in the lobby today. Enjoy. There you go. Yeah. (laughs) All right, question number four. When discussing the credibility of the Bible, which things can be scientifically proven? And are there examples where the Bible and science match? Yeah, there are examples where there is some matching between what the Bible says and what science says that I believe give tremendous credibility to the Word of God. I do want to say that the Bible is not a science book, but it is scientifically accurate. And so what I want to do is walk through four different areas, just four. There's more. But I want to share four with you where there is some matching between what Scripture says and what science has discovered. And what you'll notice is that the Bible actually said it first. And so it was ahead of the curve and ahead of what science was able to discover. So there is some matching. Now, I will say this. Some of you are going to be interested in this. Like, well, that's kind of fascinating. I hadn't thought about that or I didn't know that. Some of you are going to be bored out of your minds with this, all right? So if you're bored, then just irritate the person next to you, and we'll have another question coming very soon, all right? So let's talk about some consistencies. Here's some statements that are consistent with astronomy. And it's unique because the Bible actually has a lot to say about how there are many, many stars. There are so many stars that they cannot be numbered and they cannot all be seen. So Genesis 22 God says, blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And the implication there is that you will have many, many descendants that you won't even be able to count, just like there are stars you cannot count, and just like you cannot number the sand on all of the seashore. Jeremiah thirty-three twenty-two, as the host of heaven cannot be numbered, nor the sand of the sea measured. So I will multiply the descendants of David, my servant, and the Levites who minister to me. And even today, scientists will admit they have no idea how many stars there are. Only a few thousand can be seen with our own eye. And so here there is some consistency with what science is saying. that We don't know how many stars there are because they can't all be seen. God actually let us know about that very early. Here's some statements consistent with meteorology. The Bible actually describes a little bit of the, the circulation of the atmosphere in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 6. The wind goes toward the south and turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again on 
its circuit. And again, there's a bit of circulation in the atmosphere being described there. What's very interesting is that in Job 28, verse 25, it talks about the weight of the wind and the fact that air had weight, which is kind of an odd thought, was only discovered by scientists three to 500 years ago, but yet clearly outlined in Job chapter 28, verse 25, that there is weight to the wind, that it consists of something. Those are statements consistent with meteorology. Here's statements consistent with geology. In Isaiah 40, 22, the Bible actually describes the shape of the earth. It is he, speaking of God, who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in? That word translated circle there, you see that word? It's a Hebrew word. That means spherical or rounded or arched and is not flat or boxy in any type of way. What's really fascinating about that statement is that the book of Isaiah was written between 730 and 680 B.C., some 300 years before Aristotle made the statement that, guess what? The earth is probably round in his book on the heavens. And yet this was clearly outlined in Scripture long before he ever made that statement that the earth is spherical. What about the nature of health and sanitation and sickness? I'm not going to read through this, but in Leviticus chapters 12 through 14 and even on into chapter 15, it talks about the body and sickness and skin diseases and health and sanitation and sickness. And if you're in the medical world, I'd encourage you to read through that because there's very interesting statements in there about how to care for the body and how the church was actually involved in that back in this particular day. So the nature of health and sanitation and sickness, it's talked about in Scripture. And these are just four areas. There are many, many, many more where you find consistencies between what the Bible says and what science says. And again, the Bible is not a science book, but it is scientifically accurate. And a lot of people don't think that way about Scripture. But when you dig, when you search, and when you jump in, you can find these different things that often the Bible knew before anybody else even discovered. Okay? I'm going to end with this question, number five, and that is I want a real relationship with Jesus. And how do I do that? It's a great question. It's a great question. And again, I would say that this is probably, arguably, the, the greatest decision that anybody can make in life. And that is, what am I going to do with the person of Jesus? Am I going to embrace his leadership and forgiveness, or will I do life on my own? And what am I going to do with him? Am I going to accept that gift or not? I can remember when I was 11 years old, watching my family kind of go through a whole transition in life. And my mom and dad walked through this, and I had an older sister, and all of a sudden... They were going to church all of the time, and my dad got invited from an individual at work, and he wanted to check this out because my dad had some questions about God and was at a station in life where he just wanted to know more. And so he took our family, and we went, and within time, my mom and dad and my older sister all trusted in Christ. And they responded to that, and life was just very different for us. 
And as an 11-year-old, I really didn't have a box to put that in because it was just so unique and kind of freaked me out a little bit. Like, mom and dad are different now. And my sister is different now. And this is strange, and it's odd. And so we kept going to church, and I kept hearing about Jesus and his love for us as people and how he died in our place and he paid the price for our sin, something that we should have done, but we never could have done it. So he, as the perfect sacrifice, died in our place and he rose again. And when we believe in that, when we trust in him alone and don't add anything else to that, we can have this forever friendship with Jesus, a friend who will walk through everything in life with us. And that was kind of appealing to me as an 11-year-old guy. But it was just kind of a strange concept, and it was hard to understand. And so one night, I actually talked to my older sister, who I still have a great relationship with, and said, look, you and mom and dad have kind of walked through this, and I don't fully understand it. What's happening here? So she talked about how she understood God's love and what Jesus did for us and for me and she read a few different pieces of scripture. And on that night, as an 11-year-old guy, I said, that's what I need. I want that forever friendship with Jesus. And I trusted in him alone to save me. And I've never regretted that. And I've had this friend forever now. And he's walked with me through every part of life, the tough things and also some of the successes as well. And I've got this forever friend. Greatest decision I've ever made. I think there are some very compelling words that really share the story of this and spit it out in a clear way. It's in John chapter 3, verse 16. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. I think there's four words that fall out of this that really explain the how. Right? So how do I have this real relationship with Jesus? And we talk about that as part of our vision, a real relationship with God and others and real significance. So I think there's four words that come out of John 3.16 that speak of how this happens. Loved, gave, believe, and have. God loved the world so much that he actually gave something to us. And if we believe in what he gave, and if we believe in that alone, not add anything to that, it's not about believing in religion or tradition or the church. It's about believing in the gift of Jesus and that sacrifice. Guess what we have? We have eternal life. Loved, gave, believe. And have, and this really outlines in a beautiful way how it is that an individual can have this forever friendship with Jesus. I believe one of the most unique ways to verbalize that is to say it in a prayer to God and just talk to Him. And it's not the prayer that saves, it's our belief in what Jesus has done for me. But God loves to hear from us and to verbalize to Him from our 
heart to his ears that I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I've messed up and God, you sent your son to die in my place for me. And so I want to invite him to be my leader and my forgiver. I'm going to get out of the driver's seat and I'm going to allow Jesus to take that spot and allow you to run my life and I'm trusting in you alone. I believe that and I want to have this eternal life. Just a great thing that Jesus offers to us in this forever friendship. I love the words in Scripture that say, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And guess what? Everyone is everyone. Everyone is everyone. And so no matter who you are or where you've been or what you've done, God doesn't turn anybody away. It is not in his nature. And so whoever calls on the name of the Lord and believes will have eternal life. It's a wonderful thing to think about. And it's a wonderful gift. And, you know, there's really two things that you do with the gift. You either open it and enjoy it and have it, or you kind of push it away and say, it's not for me. And again, God can be found. God is near, but he doesn't force himself on us. And so this is a choice to trust in Jesus alone that every individual has to make on their own. Nobody can do that for you. And if you've never heard that before, or perhaps you've been on a spiritual journey here at Valley Point, and you've really been wrestling with the claims of Christ, my challenge to you, trust in Him today. Do that. And don't let whatever doubt or hesitation or fear that you have keep you from making this great decision and having a real relationship with God. Because it's available to you. You can have it. It's kind of a follow-up question to that. And that is, can I lose my salvation? And I believe the answer to that is no. There's nothing that you did to earn it. It was all God through Jesus. So if there's nothing that we did to earn it, I don't believe there's anything that you can do to lose it. And once we respond and believe, we have eternal life, and there's no expiration date on that. I love the words that are found in John chapter 10 that really speak to this. Verse 27, this is Jesus speaking here. And he says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. There's a lot of truth packed in to those few words there where Jesus is saying, Look, I know them. I know who belongs to me. And I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me, for my Father has given them to me, and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. And we get this beautiful picture here in John chapter 10 about the hand of God the Father. A hand that is enormous and big and huge. And when we trust in Jesus alone to save us, the picture is we're placed into that huge hand and we sit there and Jesus says, guess what? You're safe. You're secure in the Father's hand because nobody, nobody's greater than him. Nobody's stronger than him. Nobody can snatch you out of the Father's hand. There is safety right there in his hand. And so when you trust in Jesus alone to save you, that is something that you have and you cannot lose. You cannot get kicked out of the Father's hand. And that's really good news for all of us. 
You know, I want to thank you for being here today and for listening and thinking through these different questions. And I hope that God has whispered something into your heart. And that's probably going to be something different for every single person here. And so I want to encourage you to listen to that right now as we pray and as we engage in a little more of a response time to just consider what is God saying to me based on what I've heard from his words today. Will you pray with me? Father, we just come to you now, and we're so thankful for some time today to answer some more questions and to think about what you want to say to us. God, I'm really, really grateful for these different pieces of Scripture. Just talk about how incredible you are and how much you know. And God, not only how much you know, but also how much you love. God, some of us are very familiar with the words of John 3.16. God, I pray that you'd allow those words to overwhelm us again. And even if we are used to them, that we would understand God loved and he gave something because of that love. And if we believe in that, well, there's something that we get to have. And that is eternal life and a forever friendship with Jesus. Someone who will walk through everything in life with us. So God, I just pray for everybody in this room as we respond to this now. Help us to be ready to do whatever it is that you're whispering into our hearts now. I'd like for you just to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed for a moment. I want you to consider what God might want for you. I believe there are some in this room who are getting for the very first time that there is a God who loves you and he offers something and you can respond to that and you can have the gift of Jesus forever. And you want that. You're so ready for that. Somebody who will be that forever friend and will walk through everything in life with you and you want it and you're ready to respond to that. And so here's what I want you to do. Just quietly from your heart to God's ears, you talk to him and In your own words, just let them know that you've messed up your life. You know you're a sinner. You know you've messed some things up and you fall short of his perfection. Just tell him that. He knows it, but he wants to hear that from you. And then just in your own words, thank him for the gift of Jesus and how God loved you enough to give that. Thank him for that gift. Just tell him that you're ready to trust in him alone. You're going to invite him into the driver's seat of your life. And that you want him to be your leader and your forgiveness. And just thank him for saving you. out and your eyes still closed. Again, I think that's the greatest decision that anybody can make in life. And I want to encourage you on your connection card in a moment to just check that box that says, today I trusted in Jesus alone to save me for the very first time because we have some information 
Bible that we'd like to give to you, some tools we want to put in your hand to help you and encourage you. For others of you here, maybe God's just been whispering into your heart about trusting Him more, and perhaps God is talking to you about membership and unpacking your bags here, whatever that looks like. Just openly talk to God about that and tell Him you're willing to be obedient to Him. So God, again, we love you and we're grateful and so thankful for all that you've done for us, for paving a way, for making it possible for us to know you. God, you love so much. May that overwhelm us today. In fact, you love me. You love everybody in this room. You loved us so much. God, may that drive our thoughts and our planning and our conversations and our dreams like never before. The love of God for us. Thank you for today. Bless us now, we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for listening. We'd also like to invite you to join us for any of our Sunday gatherings as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 and 11 a.m.